to break the solitude. A deserted way indeed, with poplars on each side of it, which had turned yellow in the autumn, and had shed their leaves in abundance all across the road, so that my mare's footsteps had quite a muffled sound as she trampled them under her hoofs. Widely extending flats spread out on either side, till the view was lost in an inconceivably melancholy scene, and the road itself was so perfectly straight that you could see something like ten miles of it diminishing to a point in front of you, while a similar view was visible through the little window at the back of the carriage. In the hurry of the morning's departure, I had omitted to inquire, as I generally did in travelling an unknown road, at what village it would be best for me to stop about noon to bait, and what was the name of the most respectable house of public entertainment in my way, so that when I arrived between twelve and one o'clock at a certain place where four roads met, and when, at one of the corners, formed by their union, I saw a great bear looking in, with the sign of the Tête Noire swinging in front, I had nothing for it but to put up there, without knowing anything of the character of the house. The look of the place did not please me. It was a great, bare, uninhabited-looking house, which seemed much larger than was necessary, and presented a black and dirty appearance, which, considering the distance from any town, it was difficult to account for. All the doors and all the windows were shut, there was no sign of any living creature about the place, and niched into the wall above the principal entrance was a grim and ghastly-looking life-size figure of a saint. For a moment I hesitated whether I should turn into the open gates of the stable-yard, or go farther in search of some more attractive halting-place. But my mare was tired. I was more than halfway on my road, and this would be the best division of the journey. Besides, gentlemen, why not put up here? If I was only going to stop at such places of entertainment as completely satisfied me, externally as well as internally, I had better give up travelling altogether. There were no more signs of life in the interior of the yard than were presented by the external aspect of the house as it fronted the road. Everything seemed shut up. All the stables and outhouses were characterised by closed doors, without so much as a straw clinging to their threshold to indicate that the buildings were sometimes put to a practical use. I saw no manure strewed about the place, and no living creature, no pigs, no ducks, no fowls. It was perfectly still and quiet, and, as it was one of those days when a fine small rain descends quite straight, without a breath of air to drive it one way or another, the silence was complete and distressing. I gave a loud shout and began undoing the harness while my summons was taking effect. The first person whom the sound of my voice appeared to have reached was a small but precocious boy who opened a door in the back of the house and, descending the flight of steps which led to it, approached to aid me in my task. I was just undoing the final buckle on my side of the harness when, happening to turn round, I discovered standing close behind me, a personage who had approached so quietly that it would have been a confusing thing to find him so near, even if there had been nothing in his appearance which was calculated to startle me. He was the most ill-looking man, gentleman, that it was ever my fortune to behold. Nearer fifty than any other age I could give him, his dry spare nature had kept him as light and active as a restless boy. An absence of flesh, however, was not the only want I felt to exist in the personal appearance of the landlord of the Tête Noire. 
There was a much more serious defect in him than this, a want of any hint of mercy or conscience or any accessible approach to the better side, if there was a better side, of the man's nature. When first I looked at his eyes as he stood behind me in the open court and as they rapidly glanced over the comely points of my horse and thence to the packages inside my carriage and the portmanteau strapped onto the front of it, At that time, the colour of his eyes appeared to me to be of an almost orange tinge. But when a minute afterwards we stood together in the dark stable, I noticed a kind of blue phosphorescence gleamed upon their surface, veiling their real hue and imparting to them a tigerish lustre. The moment when I remarked this, by the by, was when the organs I have been describing were fixed upon the very large gold ring which I had not ceased to wear when I adopted my adventurous life, and which you may see upon my finger now.